You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Mosaic, a congregation of the Grace DC Network in Northeast DC. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org. We have seen a lot of construction in the neighborhood in the last few years, haven't we? For the last decade that I've been living here, It seems like a mixed-use development is going up every day. And when these building projects are done well, they share a vision that takes all of the residents into consideration. And it takes all of the residents into consideration for their good. When these building projects are done well, it takes into consideration the good and the well-being of all the residents of our place. And when these projects begin, they don't look like much. At the very beginning, you often see a big hole in the ground as a foundation is being built. But once the foundation is laid, the structure begins to come together and soon these developments become home. They become restaurants and grocery stores that feed people. They become places that foster community connection. And in some situations, they become places of beauty. The church is the great building project of God. And from the beginning, God cast a vision of a new community that would take consideration of all the residents of the neighborhood, as it were. That would seek the good of all of the residents of the neighborhood, whether they were black, brown, or white, whether they were rich or poor, men or women, young or old. At the beginning of this project, the Lord began with 12 disciples. It didn't seem like much when you looked at them. They didn't seem like they would be the beginnings of anything meaningful. But God's vision was that being built on this foundation, his church would become home to the homeless. That his church would become a place where people could be fed, not just spiritually, but physically. That his church would become a place of community connection. And that his church would even become a place of beauty. The beauty of love and service. The beauty of self-giving and sacrifice. The beauty of neighbor love. Last week, we started a new series in the book of Ephesians on the church. What is the church? How are we to understand the church? So many people in American Christianity have a very low view of the church and a very low understanding of the church. They have sought to focus, to major on on matters of faith and pertaining to Jesus without realizing that if you are going to understand Jesus, if you're gonna know the love of Jesus, then you will come to know the love of the church. Last last week, we began with the theme of the head of the church, who is Jesus Christ. And what we said is this. All of the members of God's church must love the church like Jesus loves the church, must serve the church like Jesus serves the church, must live in the church like Jesus lives in the church. Seeking its good, committing to the church like Jesus commits to the church. 
Because it's in this way that we really become who we were meant to become and that we can never become who God intends for us to become without belonging to some local church. Some local church. We began with the head of the church. And this morning, we continue through our series by taking up the next theme in the book of Ephesians that I want to draw out. And that is the foundation of the church. And we're going to approach this text through two points where we see what it is and why it matters. What is the foundation of the church? And why does that matter? Why does it matter what it is and why it matters? So let's look at our first point, what it is, which is drawn primarily from verse 20. If you're looking at the text, what is the foundation? Now, here's the deal. This paragraph that we just read together is considered by many New Testament scholars as the most important paragraph in Paul's teaching on the church. Many New New Testament scholars suggest that there is no more robust, no more rich, no more thematically dense passage that gets at all that the church is and is supposed to be than Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. It's, It's important for understanding what the scriptures have to say about the church. But as we continue through this text, we're going to see Just how meaningful it is for us in our contemporary context today. Just how important it is for the mission that we share together that's been given to us from God. Now, in the book of Ephesians, Paul is writing to a church that's made up of outsiders. It's a church that is comprised of outsiders. They are Gentiles, which means they're not Jewish. They're Gentiles. They're outsiders. And this is the deal. These Gentiles, you have to realize if you're listening, they have been brought into a very Jewish faith that has very Jewish culture, that has a very Jewish Messiah. And they are somewhat disoriented because they're bringing their culture into a space where the rules don't seem to work. Their their meaning makers aren't exactly hitting as they enter into this community. And it gets all the more confusing. And this is why, if you follow me, we're going somewhere with this, right? This is why it gets all the more confusing because the Jews were a marginalized and oppressed people within the Roman Empire. And they were, they were, you could understand how much it would matter to them to be able to have a space where they could preserve their thing. Where they could have a space where they felt safe. Where they felt like they could be themselves and didn't have to explain themselves because everyone in this thing gets one another. But then, on the other side of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the vision of God begins to unfold. It begins to develop. 
And what we see is that God's plan takes on a clearer focus and what God wants in his community is something very different from what was understood at the time. It wasn't going to be a community in which Gentiles had to check their culture at the door in order to belong. It wasn't going to be a place where Gentiles had to assimilate to the culture of the Jews in order to be fully invested members. It also wasn't going to be a place where the Gentiles who had power out in society would ride roughshod over their Jewish brothers and sisters. God was doing something new in his community. In fact, if you think about how it is situated in our text, we see that God is building an alternative society. He's building a society that, be, that, that, that operates according to a different criteria, a different set of rules. It may work out there to step on people to get ahead, but not in here. It, it may be the cultural currency out there that you flex your power over people and get them in line, but not in here. It may be the case that out there you marginalize certain people in order to collect power to yourself so you can rise, but not in here. We have a different, a different society in the church. This is the context that Paul is writing into. The Gentiles were brought into this institution and they, they felt like outsiders. They felt like outsiders. The story belonged to the Jewish people. The heroes belonged to the Jewish people. All of the great acts of God were accomplished among the Jewish people. And they're brought in and at some level they're wondering, what is my status in this community? I'm grateful to be in it, but am I second class? Am I, am I on the fringe? Where am I situated? And it's into this context that the Apostle Paul, who was the apostle to the Gentiles, though he himself was very Jewish, very Jewish. According to Philippians 3, no one could out-Jew him. No one had better Jewish training. No one had better Jewish credentials. No one had greater Jewish fidelity. And yet he is called to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And he has a word for this community that he's writing to in Ephesus. It's into this confusing social context that Paul says, the Lord has spoken. And God says, I'm doing something new all together with the church. I'm building a new society, a new community, a new structure in which there are no longer outsiders. Now, if I was back home in the black church, I'd tell you to turn to your neighbor and say, you're not an outsider. But I'm not going to. Yeah. All right. Come on. Come on. Give me a little love this morning. Tell your neighbor you're not an outsider. You may feel like an outsider, but factually you are not an outsider. By all appearances, you may look like an outsider, but in God's church, you are not an outsider. Your bank account cannot make you an outsider. 
the blank sheet that you would like to have a lot of credentials on, it does not make you an outsider. Your sins from the past cannot make you an outsider. Nothing that the world counts as significant for belonging can bar you as an outsider when you have been united to Christ. Remember where Ephesians began in Christ, in him, in him, through him, by him. Union with Christ through and through all of the blessings of God belong to us in union with Christ. Whether you are black or white, young or old, rich or poor, whether you speak English, Chinese, Spanish, Portuguese or any other language that is yet to be developed. None of this diminishes the benefits that you have in union with Christ. And none of these become grounds for us alienating one another. Keeping our distance from one another. Because of the gospel. (laughs) And that's where Paul begins in chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And you were dead. Y'all were dead. And your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the ways of the world. Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's at work in the sons of disobedience. But now, in Christ, you have been raised from the dead. And now we have a new filter on all of life. It is the filter of the gospel. And that is not to reduce the gospel. That is to tell you that the gospel plays on 10,000 stages. It shapes the way you look at one another. You know why? Because you begin to have your mind trained by the gospel to look at one another in the way that Jesus looks at you. And you begin to take up this thought in a repentant spirit. If God looked at me, if Jesus looked at me the way that I want to look at them, where would I be? Father, we're so different. I mean, I am holy. They're not. I'm righteous. They're terrible. I'm good. They're bad. Father, we just don't have anything in common. I don't know why I would want to connect with them, but no. That's not the logic that Jesus uses. That's not the logic of the gospel. And so it shuts it down for us Christians as logic for keeping distance from one another. (sighs) Father, I just, you know, it's just going to be awkward You know, when I show up and I say I'm God and then they don't believe me and then they persecute me and hate me and then I pop up like surprise. (laughs) It's going to be awkward, but it's not the awkwardness. It's not the difference. None of this is used by Jesus as a reason or an excuse for keeping distance from us. No, the logic of the gospel is exactly counter to that. He's looking for every reason to draw near to us, to be close to us, to live in union with us. And that's to shape the way that we think about one another in the church. God, they're embarrassing the way they behave. Yeah. Yeah. You see the logic? All of our excuses for keeping distance from one another and refusing to live as God's new society are dashed on the logic of the gospel. They cannot stand. 
They reveal themselves to be blatantly non-Christian modes of thinking. The Lord speaks into this situation. And look at this, verses 19 through 20. So then, you're no longer strangers. What does he say to these Gentiles who feel their otherness, who feel their marginality? What does he say to them? So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Do you see this? Paul is modeling for us. Remember, all through the letter, Paul isn't just teaching us truths about the Christian faith. He's modeling for us a way of embodying the Christian faith. To hear the word of the Lord to the Gentiles, that they're no longer strangers and aliens. They are fellow citizens. They are belongers, all those who have become believers. It is to give us a model of the kind of language that's to be on our lips towards one another. When people walk through those doors, when people investigate our community, when they're asking the question of whether or not they want to come here or be a part of this community, our message to them is you are fellow citizens, you who are in union with Christ, you who have trusted in Jesus for your only hope in life and in death, you're fellow citizens, you are belongers, you are welcome to belong here, to be fully invested, not junior members, not JV members. Not second class members, fellow citizens with all the saints. And you see what, where this comes from? Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Now, this is important. This is important. Paul uses this metaphor to teach us about the church. And he likens God's community to a building with a foundation and a cornerstone. He says that the foundation of the church is the apostles... And the prophets, those who were the mouthpieces of God's revelation, God's word. The apostles and Christian prophets are both seen as those to whom God has made known his revelation in the gospel and those who first proclaimed the gospel. Let me translate this for you. What Paul is saying is that the entirety of our life together is to be built upon who we're becoming, how we're thinking about our identities, how we're thinking about our relationships, how we think about our fellowship, how we think about our conversations and our language with respect to one another. All of this is built upon the foundation of God's revealed truth, God's revealed will, what God has to say about it. Why? Why though? Why are the apostles and the New Testament prophets the foundation of the church? Here's why. Because they were absolutely clear and authoritative on the identity, the life, the teachings, the saving work, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why. They were, here's your big theological word, plenipotentiaries. Now let me break that down. Whenever I need to get Tiana and she can't hear me, I might grab Elijah and say, go tell your sister I said to come here. Now, Elijah, he's typically a very humble, understated brother. You know, he carries it close. He, he's not too flashy. He doesn't he doesn't, you know, get get too excitable. But when I give him an authoritative message to deliver to his sister, 
he might come with a little more swagger and be like, Tiana, dad said to come here right now. Right now, Elijah is he's functioning as my plenty potentiary. That means that in himself, he has no authority over his sister. But as my delegate, as the one that I sent, he carries my authority. The apostles and the New Testament prophets were plenty potentiaries. They were delegates of the Lord Jesus. And he gave them an authoritative word, an authoritative gospel to speak on his behalf, an authoritative design for the church to form it, to shape it, to build it for its mission. And that's why the, the apostles and the prophets are the foundation of the church. We do not have the prerogative to change the program. But here's the beautiful thing. We don't need to. We don't need to. Here's why. In a day and age where diversity is very important to people, we need to see that before it was a a savvy political move to get elected to office, God's design encompassed the entirety of created diversity. This was God's idea first. It's not politically correct. It's about being Christologically conformed, made in the likeness of Jesus, made into the vision of Jesus. Jesus had the mentality, no one left behind before the Marines were talking about that. No cultural group left behind, no ethnic segment, no socioeconomic breakdown left behind. My gospel is good news for all. And if your gospel is not good news for everybody, then it's not good news at all. Y'all hear me. If your gospel isn't good news for the poor, it's not good news at all. If it's not good news for those who speak a different language, it's not good news at all. If it's not good news for the weak and the marginal, it's not good news at all because it's not Jesus gospel. Jesus gospel is comprehensive of the human family, all different types, all different segments are invited to the feast. This is the foundation, the authoritative revelation, also known as the scriptures that were given to us by the apostles and the New Testament prophets. But notice in the text also that this foundation has a cornerstone. And that cornerstone is the Lord Jesus. Now, back when ancient buildings were built, the cornerstone was the first stone that was that was set in place. It was the stone that the rest of the foundation was built off of. It was aligned off of it. And all of the rest of the structure was built upon it. The cornerstone, the whole building was dependent upon the cornerstone. It was the primary stone. Everything was measured off of it. Everything had to be laid in line with the cornerstone. It was the most important stone in the whole building. They started with a perfectly square cut cornerstone. They set it just right and they built out from that point. And the structural, hear me, the structural integrity of the entire building was dependent on the cornerstone. So what does it mean to call Jesus the cornerstone? Jesus is the primary foundation stone upon which God the Father is building the church. He is. He is the perfectly cut stone uniquely capable of supporting God's community. 
It's the person and work of Christ that serve as the unmovable, unshakable support of God's community. Everything that we are to be about corporately and individually is measured off of Jesus, aligned to Jesus, built upon Jesus. And that's why the apostles' explanation and exposition of Jesus, their teaching about Jesus, is so important and foundational to the church. Because here's the deal. We must get Jesus right if we're going to get ourselves right. We must get Jesus right if we're going to get our community right. We must understand who Jesus is if we're going to understand who we are. What kind of church we will be is based upon what kind of Jesus we have. Will we have the real Jesus who is God in the flesh, who lived the perfect life, taught us from the very mouth of God, who lived the life we should have lived, died the death that we deserve to die, who rose again from the dead, who was not just a good teacher, not just a good example, but a savior. Will we have the right Jesus or will we have the warm and fuzzy Jesus? Do people say, I like, I like Jesus. He was a good teacher, a good moral example. Yeah, 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 I like Jesus. The, the, the incomplete Jesus, which is a false Jesus. Do we have the right Jesus? The kind of Jesus we have will determine the kind of community we will become. Jesus, one theologian said, was not just a good example. If Jesus were just a good example for you, he would show you what you ought to be, but could never become. But because he's not just an example and a teacher, but a savior, he not only shows you what you should be, but what you shall be by grace. He's at work. And that's the hope with which we labor. That's the hope through which we build our community. That's the hope and the commitment and the confidence that we have in sowing our lives together. Because God's at work and through his mighty power, he will continue to bring down barriers. You see what Paul is saying? He's showing us why it matters, which brings us to our final point. And my final point is drawn from verses 11 through 19 and verses 21 through 22. Why does it matter that we have this foundation? Because the scriptures push us into the kind of community that we are prone to avoid. The scriptures push us into the kind of community that we so desperately need and so desperately try to run away from. A community of difference. A community in which people care about us enough to tell us about our junk. A community that is supportive enough to bear us up in suffering. To put up with us when we failed again. When we sinned again. When we did the thing we promised we'd never do again. Because we have a, 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 an authoritative exposition of the message of grace in Jesus Christ. Look back through the passage. The entire passage is about the cross-cultural community that God is making of Jews and Gentiles. And here's how we develop this message forward. Paul tells us that the dividing wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles, it's a mysterious phrase. And those who do work as commentators in, in, in commentaries, they're divided on, on what this dividing wall actually is. 
Some think that it was the wall in the temple that separated the court of the Gentiles from the inner court where only the Jews could enter. And that now the Gentiles have access to the presence of God like the Jews. Some believe that that wall is actually the law that separated. Here's the deal. Regardless of where you land on the theme, the point that we need to take is this. If Jesus broke down that wall, he's breaking down all the walls. He's breaking down all the walls within his community. He's given his community a new center. He's given his community a new direction. And this is why we have the vision that we do at Grace Mosaic. Cross-cultural community is not just a nice idea for those who are interested in that kind of thing. Oh, isn't that cute? I like his passion for cross-cultural. I'm like, it's God's passion. It's God's heart. Before it was ever on any of our hearts, it was on the heart of God and Jesus Christ. And everything in the gospel shows us that. It's not a hobby. It's not a condiment. It's not a little extra. You can't have Jesus a la carte without the cross-cultural love. It's a whole thing to have our hearts tuned in this way. That's why we have this vision. It's not just a vision crafted to attract more progressive types who are into multiculturalism. This is the vision of God for his church, authoritatively developed by the apostles and the prophets. This is built upon the foundation, the cornerstone of which is Christ. And Paul, listen, listen, look, imagine, consider the imagery. Jesus, the cornerstone laid down, the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And then look at how he moves on through the text. Built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom, there's union with Christ language again, the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, union with Christ again, you also are being built together. Do you see the wisdom of that old school cat, Joseph Hall, that there's no room for any loose stones in God's edifice? The whole community. Why? Well, can't I just have my own spirituality, me and Jesus? Like, I'm fine. I don't need to be a part of the church. The church is embarrassing. The church is sin. And now, yeah, you know, going down, down, down. No, no, no. Look at the vision. Go to the text. The whole building is being built together. The various stones are being fitted together in the structure. And the cornerstone is what allowed walls to join. You are a stone being built into the building. And guess what? The building is becoming a dwelling place for God. A dwelling place for God. You know what temples were about back in the day? Temples were always understood as the places where heaven and earth met, where the gods took up residence. In other words, if you wanted to find God, you went to the temple. Do you see what Paul is saying? God has a new building project. The temple has come down off the mountain. It is now mobile. So everywhere where the church gathers in his name, 
there you find the presence of God. This is where God is to be found. This is where the mercies of God are to be found. This is where the grace of God is to be found. This is where service to the people of God is to be found. This is where neighbor love is to be found. This is where all of the beauties and the manifold excellencies of Jesus are to be found in his church. So if you have a churchless Christianity, hear the rebuke from God's word that you're in error and you should repent and belong. Your heart longs for it. God wants it for you. It's a part of your maturity. Do you see we grow together? (laughs) We're built up together. And that's the only way you will be built up. That's the only way you will really grow. As we said last week, everyone thinks thinks of themselves as loving. And you never see how unloving you are until you have someone difficult to love. That happens in the church. Everyone thinks that they're pretty big hearted and magnanimous and servants until they get asked for the 50th time to show up to a service event. Then you begin to see how selfish you are. We need the church because it exposes the worst in us. But we need the church because it exposes the best in him. And therein is where we find grace. That's what grace is all about. Not license. It's a transforming power that comes to us through Jesus. We all have the same need. We all have the same ultimate desires. And we all have the same Savior. This is where this is going. We become a community that supports the thriving of all the neighbors when we are built upon this foundation. We become a community that provides nourishment, that feeds our neighbors, both spiritually and physically, when we're built upon this foundation. We become the kind of place where community connection and even beauty are displayed when we are built upon this foundation. And here's my final word. Don't allow your thinking and your living and your acting to be built on any other foundation. We don't need to run to the culture in order to find the things that result in beauty. To find the things that will allow us, allow us to love our different neighbors. To find the things that will empower us to thrive in this world and will empower the thriving of our neighbors. We don't need to turn to a socio-political playbook in order to find these things. It's in our foundation. It's in the book if you're looking, if you're searching, if you're submitting to it, receiving it as the very word of God. And I promise you, God's designs for this picture are far more beautiful, far richer. They are more good than anything that we can come up with or cook up. So let's humble ourselves and build on the foundation and belong as members of this building and be the temple, the place where God's presence can be found, growing up together, being built up together in love. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Grace Mosaic. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org.